Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Good morning, happy Lord's Day, and happy Mother's Day to so many of you who are gathering all across the tri-state area, and, and through those cameras, really even all over the world. It's a delight to welcome you. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to recognize our moms here on this very special day in just a few moments. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you may know someone who just needs some encouragement today in the middle of everything our planet is engulfed in. If you could like or share this, if you happen to be watching on the Facebook platform, YouTube platform, you can share that as well just by linking to it here. We would love for as many as possible to be able to join us on this morning. And moms, I want to begin this morning with a reading from God's Word that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Now, most women, when they read the 31st proverb, uh, walk away discouraged. Most of the time, it's because they think, I'm not that woman. I'll never measure up. I'll never get there. And ladies, that's the problem. I, 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 me, me, me. Remember that Proverbs 31 occurs within that larger meta narrative of Scripture that tells you what we've been covering in Galatians all this time. Christ does these things in you. And so even in the midst of these unprecedented times when perhaps the guilt and the pressure and everything that's, that else that surrounds being a mother seems to have collapsed on you, listen to these words of the Lord written for you. This in Christ is who you are. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow in her household for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellent, but you surpass them all. Ladies, moms, this is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of the weather that is going to get warmer. And so, Father, in faith, we look forward to great celebration today with our families Father, I pray for those who, by virtue of the things that are surrounding us, are going to have to be distant from grandparents or great-grandparents or others, Lord, who are at higher risk. Father, I pray that you would heal the loneliness today. I pray that in the midst of all of this, that you would demonstrate yourself sufficient to us all. And Father, as we continue to look at what it means to walk in grace, what it means to look at, to a sovereign God who sent his son into time and space to die for our sins, even in the middle of moments like this, Lord, may we take great encouragement in that, and may we be your people. May we 
reflect the faith that you call us to reflect, and may we glorify your name, and in these next few moments of worship, may we just get started. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mommy needs a quarantine. And our moms may be spending a lot of time with their kids right now. A lot. Like, so, so much time. And even though they love their kids to the moon and back, Mommy! Where are you going? Sometimes moms need a little alone time. Mommy! You know, to recharge. No matter what's happening in the world, their favorite way to spend time is with their family. In good times, in hard times. Mom! Hi. You're breaking everything! In uncertain times. Thank you, Mom, for making time for us every single day. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I ask that you would watch over us as we go to bed and rest, that you'd speak to us in Bible stories and speak to us in... Uh... Well, happy Mother's Day. Did any of that look familiar? I am so the mom in the minivan hiding. You, Yeah, I was going to out you, but now everybody <laughs> else knows. By the way, if you don't know... This is my favorite mom in the world. This is my wife, Amy. Amy, whole world, whole world, Amy. Okay. And, and so uh, we, we get an opportunity today to, uh, to do some recognition uh, of our mothers. And yeah, that van thing, I've caught her in the garage. That's totally her. But you learned something new from this too, didn't you? Oh, yeah. The, the thing in the bed behind the pillow, I'm totally pulling that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I know what to look for next. <laughs> So what are we doing here? We're, we're going to make some. We're going to do some drawings for some gift cards. Um, these these have in the past been spa packages. We don't know how comfortable people are going to be who win these to go to the spa. We don't know when the spas are going to open, and so we're just doing gift cards. You want to take it to the spa? I'm sure that'll be just fine. Uh, but we're going to give away, I think, four of these today. Yes, we are. So I'm not. I'm going to back away. I thought I, I threatened to call her Vanna White, and she threatened. To respond in a not so nice way. So here's, here's what we're going to do, right? You ready for the wheel? Ready for the wheel. All right. And so and a lot of you ladies signed up for this. So here we go. We're going to, and, and oh, by the way, we're paying a personal visit today. So now if you're not home, we're not judging. Okay. You may have a perfectly good reason for being out <laughs> and, and we've snuck out too. So don't worry about it. Um, but we're going we're gonna to come, make a personal visit. We'll stay as far away as you're comfortable with. We're going to have our masks on, but we just, we're excited about seeing some of you. Yes, we are. And now we get to see which four we get to see. Yes. All right. Take it away, Mrs. Rainey. All right. All right. Let's find out who winner number one is. 
number one is George Ann Stengel. Awesome. And number two. Number two is Lori Groves. Yay! I get to say hello to Billy today. That's going to be fun. I, I like Troy, George Ann's husband too, but he's in here today. He's making sure you can hear me right now. Number three. Is Lauren Epperly. Big up. I'm coming to your house, dude. And number four. We will see you ladies soon. Thank you very, very much, sweetheart. I'm so glad you're here today. You've been staying home, being a good example, trying to keep everybody safe. But, um, man, it's awfully good to have her here. So, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I'll be back in just a minute. Um, and we'll open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. We are still loving our children and developing them to be spiritual giants. Thank you. And we're still equipping students and young adults to lead tomorrow's world. Thank you. We're still filling the kitchen cabinets and refrigerators of hungry people. Thank you. We're still serving meals to the hurting in the tri-state area. Thank you. We still look forward to leading you in worship every week. Thank you. We are still serving with our partners in Vietnam. Thank you. We're still continuing to serve pastors and leaders in Baltimore and coming alongside of planters in Maryland and Virginia. Thank you, Covenant Church. We are still praying for people and meeting needs. Thank you. And we are still welcoming new people every single week. Thank you. We are still bringing Covenant to your TV or tablet every week. Thank you. We're still fighting opioid addiction together. Thank you. Your generous gifts continue to make an eternal difference. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. 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 Thank you indeed. You have been so faithful throughout this time, and because of your faithfulness, we have been faithful, uh, still serving those meals, still aiming our resources toward this community that is hurting during this time. God bless you for that. And I also have some exciting news this coming week, and so just stay tuned. Uh, if you're watching us on our Facebook platform, I'll be coming to Facebook, YouTube, uh, some other platforms will have an email for you in your inbox about some plans we have as we move forward. Now, every service that we ha uh, have available to you right now that is online is still going to be available because we know we've got some at-risk families and we've got some folks who for any number of reasons are going to feel like they and their families need to stay home for just a bit longer. Uh, but for those of you who've wanted to come back, you're going to have that opportunity here in just a few 
weeks. And that announcement is coming this week. I have missed you, and I greatly look forward to seeing you by the end of this month. But very, let me say this. Brothers and sisters, let's not waste this moment. God has given us this moment. God brought us here. Let's figure out what he's trying to teach us. I hope this series in the Grace Driven Life has been a blessing to you. Great. It's a great comfort to me, even during times like this, to know not only that God is, but that he is not silent, that he has spoken in his word, and that in this age we can hear him. And sometimes we hear him on occasion in our prayers. God speaks to us. He whispers to us and through circumstances. But you and I exist in an age that even the prophets didn't exist in. When we want to hear from him, anytime we want to hear from him, all we have to do is open this book. And what a message we have heard for this time in which we live, the message of grace, the depth and the riches and the power of grace that forgives and that empowers and that heals and that changes and Today, we get to finish a series by finishing a book, Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, with a look at how that grace-driven life never has to end. How do we live the grace-driven life? How do we remain empowered? You ever walk into a room and you forgot why you walked in there? I've been guilty of that more than a few times over the last few weeks, and it's one of the smaller frustrations in life, but sometimes that frustration is, is compounded when your momentary lapse of memory is overtaken by further distraction. Hopefully, I'm not the only person who's ever had this experience. You, you get up in the morning, and, and you walk, and you, you, you're reading a book, or you're watching some news, or you're doing whatever, and you know, you're in the midst of a stay-at-home order, and so you're doing your best to be a good citizen and try to protect your loved ones, and you walk into the kitchen because that's where you think you left your reading glasses. And that's when you see the pizza from the night before. Now, it's about 10.45 in the morning. It's a little late for breakfast, and if you're anywhere near my age, you shouldn't be eating that crap for breakfast anyway, but it's close enough for lunch. You should probably call it brunch, and you rationalize in your own mind that, you know what, I'm quarantined, and I got the munchies. So you go grab the pizza, you put it in the microwave, and uh, you notice while you're doing that a couple of things you didn't notice the night before. Number one, that there are dirty dishes that rather than being in the dishwasher are piled up in both sides of the sink in the most sophisticated Jenga tower you've ever seen. And the other thing you notice is trash that is no longer in the can, but it's beginning to climb the wall. Mrs. Rainey would probably like me to point out at this point that this has never happened in our house. I mean, ever. But maybe it's happened at your house, and you notice those kind of things, and, and so you get a little bit grumpy, and maybe you think to yourself, or maybe you even mutter under your breath, you know what, I'm going to take care of one of these, but just one. There are more people in this house than me. There are more people who know how to put dishes in a dishwasher. There are more people who know how to take out the trash, and so you pick the trash because it's quicker. And then you sit down with the pizza, and you get into your first bite around 11 o'clock, and you realize... I'm still in my unicorn pajamas, and I've got a Zoom meeting coming up with work colleagues in about a half an hour, and they're not going to appreciate the way I'm dressed. So you go upstairs to get dressed, and that's when you realize there's no clothes in the dresser because, again, you're quarantined, and even through quarantine, ain't nobody doing the laundry, and you recognize this stuff's in the dryer. So you go downstairs, and you rifle through the laundry, and some things you find clean, hopefully underwear, 
Some things are not clean, but you sniff them, they'll do good. You know what? Nobody can smell you through Zoom anyway. So you get together everything you need to get together, and you go make your stuff after you've woofed your pizza down, and once you secure everything you need to be presentable to your coworkers, you take a shower, you sit down in front of your computer screen, and that screen, and that's when you realize, I forgot my reading glasses, which were the thing that put you in the kitchen in the first place, right? These are the kind of days a lot of us have been having recently. Distractions can be really, really annoying. But throughout this later letter, Paul has been warning us that there's another distraction that is actually dangerous to our souls, and it can, it can keep us from moving forward in the power that Christ intends. It's actually spiritually deadly, and it's a distraction that the church of Galatia has fallen for. They were birthed into existence when Paul, again, likely received by them as a very sick man. We saw his testimony to that earlier in the letter, and he testifies in the midst of all of that to the grace of God in Christ. Paul's not distracted. He remembers, no matter what he's suffering in, what the main thing is, and the result is that the Galatians come to Christ. And yet some years later, the Judaizers come in and begin to distract them. And now they have not only forgotten what they believe and how it applies to their life, they have forgotten even why they exist. And in the 21st century, this can happen to Christians. This can happen to entire churches. You say, Pastor Joel, you really think we're distracted by now? You really think right now we're distracted from what God has really called us to. We had a prayer meeting here on Thursday night, and one of our dear sisters in Christ said something to me. She's sitting right down here to my left right now. She said, I get a sense from the Lord that God's people are acting in fear, irrational fear in the middle of this. I took that. I received it. I went home. I prayed about it. I slept on it. I spent the last two days thinking not only about those words, but what do they mean? And what do they mean specifically relative to what we know God has said in the scriptures? And I have come to the conclusion that she's absolutely right. But I'm going to tell you, it's probably not what you're thinking. I don't think she's right because the world and even the church has taken some precautions to protect our brothers and sisters in the community from something that could bring damage or even death to us. I'm going to tell you why I think she's right, because I see us reacting in all other kind of of irrational fear. We're not talking about Jesus. We're not sinking our hope in the anchor. Look at your Facebook page and just tell me, because I... I love you. I love you. Some of you are going to turn me off right now. Your pastor sees your Facebook page. And when I see more conspiracy theory than I see Jesus, I'm seeing people who are living in fear as if that Jesus has not risen from the dead and will not one day crush in flames when he returns to this earth, that very temporary kingdom that you're so worried about losing right now. Yeah, I think we're a little distracted. Happy Mother's Day. I think we're just a tad distracted. Let me offer you some hope here, though. I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound condemning. I want to wake you up. I want to push you toward hope because the life of grace that Paul has been describing here is intended to be never-ending. You know what that means? It means a pandemic can't stop it. It means death can't stop it. And so the question of these final verses is, how do I seize that? How do I grab that? How do I live it? Until I meet Jesus, 
without being distracted. Let me share three ways with you as we close this letter together. The first is this, resist distracting motivations. Paul says in verse 11, see with what huge letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So he's now, again, we, we recognize he's got some bad eyesight. So he's not writing in 12-point font. He's writing in 18-point font. And you can tell, like he's been using a scribe to dictate the letter for him. He wants to make sure he personally inscribes this part of the letter. This is important, in other words. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Pay close attention to this, because this is the plan of every Judaizer that has ever existed in all of human history, and it's twofold. The first is safety, to avoid persecution, specifically, he says here, in order that they may not be persecuted. Listen, when the list of your top two faith priorities is, I don't want to get hurt, whatever faith you're practicing is not Christianity. It's just not. And if you don't believe me, listen to the words of Jesus in Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Look at these words in Matthew 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? If you follow Jesus, some hard times are coming. Persecution is coming. Suffering is coming. Is that great? Reformer Martin Luther used to say, if your faith is going to count, it's going to cost. And if it doesn't cost, it is not going to count. Safety. And then the other thing they're after here, why are they doing everything they're doing? For safety? Secondly, for superiority. They're doing it, he says, so that they may boast in your flesh. They want to use the Galatians to make themselves look super spiritual while cutting for themselves the easiest path possible. Know anybody like that? Here's what it means in really simple terms. The cross, the center symbol of the Christian faith, the cross for these false teachers is not a reality to embrace. It's just a symbol to put on display. That's all they care about. And this is a particular danger in our culture. Christianity enjoys a degree of legal protection in our nation that is unprecedented in, since the time of Constantine. It, it, it's unprecedented. I don't know, some of you are thinking, well, our, our liberties are in danger. Look, I, and I've spoken publicly on that. I, there, have been some, there have been some government agents over the last few weeks that have stepped out of line. They've stepped out of their lane. But don't think for a minute that that means that our liberties are in danger or you haven't read the follow-up stories where those same governors have been smacked around by courts exactly as they should be. Your religious liberty and mine is safe, all right? No need to be alarmed by that. I'm not worried about that. I'm concerned about whether we care more about whether we're free to do something in a temporary kingdom than whether we ought to be doing it because King Jesus told us to do it. We enjoy legal protection. We enjoy a certain amount of social acceptance, not as much as we did a generation ago, and that, 
likely will get worse and begin to change as we move forward. But when the teaching of our faith collides with those cultural mores, the question is, what, what are our priorities going to be? Will we truly embrace the crucified life that Paul speaks of here? Because, brothers, sisters, that's the only path to grace. That's the only path. Otherwise, you know what the cross is going to be to you? A hood ornament. That's the only thing it's ever going to be. And you know what the difference is? It's in your motivation. See, for some of us who, who struggle with sin who, who, or who act one way on Sunday but are a different person in front of our Christian friends, some of us who maybe think we're smarter or more godly than, than the men and women who have come 2,000 years before us and some issue comes on the horizon and we think that it's both our prerogative and our privilege to somehow adjust what God's Word clearly says, that's how you demonstrate yourself superior. Well, I'm more enlightened than you. It's the new Gnosticism, really. We, we've come into new knowledge. We, we've care, careful, deep study. You'll hear those kinds of words come out of people that, who, at the end of the day, are simply rejecting God's Word and moving toward rebellion. But then there's another side. There's the religion side to Judaizing. Don't forget that, too. That's when a church community within tries to make our covenantal relationship so controlling that it's no longer about God's Word and the power of the Spirit speaking communally through each of us. It's instead about religious social pressure. It's about me being superior to you because I don't do this or I refrain from that. And because you've positioned yourself as the most holy, you've simultaneously cordoned yourself off as the safest and the last person to be questioned. That is damnable religion. Safety and superiority, those are, those are distractions that are as far as one can get from the message of the cross. And Paul is screaming at us in these closing verses, you need to resist those distractions. Well, how do you do that? You do that secondly by centering your life on the cross of Christ. Paul continues in verse 14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for circumcision counts for anything. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. He's going back to this. I, who cares whether or not you've been circumcised? Here's what matters. A new creation. Now, do you notice the, the contrast? It's the Judaizer's desire to boast in their religion, their service, their dedication, Paul responds with this, you have nothing to boast in except the cross of Christ. That's it. And you have denied that cross. You may be wearing it around your neck, but you're, you've denied it by your religious commitments. What he's saying is you're trying to be spiritual without the Holy Spirit. You, you can't do that. You put on a really good show. Did you know it's possible to display emotion, to speak in tongues, to raise your hands, to shout, to act before the world as if you have it all together to speak of Jesus frequently and simultaneously to deny the very cross that you have hanging around your neck? The primary way this happens is through boasting. Paul says when we boast, we're like the world. We're like the world. The world, I don't know if you've noticed that or not, it's filled with braggadocio. Filled with it. Ever been to the barber shop, guys? Ladies, I don't know where you all go to boast, but for dudes, we go to, the, we go to two places to boast. The barber shop and the cigar shop. There's the boasting right there. I mean, you can just hear it. Bunch of guys that look kind of like me sitting around 
I made so much money last year. Man, you see the car I'm driving. Man, did you see my son hit that curveball? And then somebody else goes, your son couldn't hit my son's curveball. And all this stuff, just, it just keeps coming, coming. And I'm looking around going, we are all a bunch of middle-aged dudes with receding bangs getting fatter. That is all we are. But that's the world we live in. When we try to brag like that, we are like the world. And let me tell you something about the world, just in case you haven't been reminded in an obvious way over the last eight weeks, the world is a deadly place. It has a 100% mortality rate. Nobody's getting off this planet alive. None of us. And so the only answer is to refocus our boasting in the only place that matters, the cross of Christ. You know why? Because it's the cross that kills the world in us. Remember chapter 5, verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The crucified life saves you both from the religion that enslaves you and the rebellion which also enslaves you. Here's the great hope of the gospel. There is nothing with this world and its 100% mortality rate. There is something more lethal yet. Nothing is more lethal against your sin and mine than the cross of Christ. It will be put to death. And that's exactly what needs to happen so that we can get what Paul describes here as, as new creation. It's not circumcision, it's not uncircumcision, it's not your efforts or your convictions or what you refrain from doing or what you do a lot or how much money you give away or how much holier you think you are than someone else. It's new creation. One of my favorite films in the last 10 years is the first Captain America. Took both my boys to see that one, and I was glad I did. It was one of those few movies that I actually did not go and preview, and we almost always do that. Even now that our younger kids are a little bit older, Amy and I will do that. And I recommend that for parents. This is one that I didn't. I took a gamble, and it turned out to be okay. Steve Rogers at the beginning of that movie turns out to be Captain America later in the movie, but he doesn't start out as Captain America. He starts out as a guy that nobody thinks is going to be able to help anybody with anything. Because Steve Rogers is a young man suffering from multiple health issues that prohibit him from joining the Army. And he goes from recruiting station to recruiting station, and he fails physical after physical, every single time. Now, here's the thing. Through that whole period, he's also exercising, he's working hard, he's doing everything he can. But the fact of the matter is, when you have a history of asthma, scarlet fever, rheumatic fever, high blood pressure, chronic colds, heart palpitations, and on top of all that are easily fatigued, wonder why you would be with all of those complications, there's nothing you can do to become the kind of man you want to be. But then, not long into the movie, he gets injected with a super serum. And yes, at 48 years old, I'm still amazed by that. I love this movie. The super serum is going to be injected into a man, and according to one colonel's speech in that movie, that one man will become a super soldier and he will personally escort Adolf Hitler to the gates of hell. That's one of those lines that kind of gets you coming out of your seat when you're in the movie theater. And you know what? When they inject that into Steve Rogers, he, he becomes a completely different man. Throughout the Bible, we see two messages. One is a command that rules over all other commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The other 
is a reminder constantly to each one of us that no one seeks after God. No one intuitively in their own flesh loves God. No matter what we try, our sin nature leaves us like a spiritual asthmatic, somebody who simply cannot overcome our weaknesses. And so you know what God does? Paul's been talking about it this entire, he provides new creation. First prophesied by, the, by Jeremiah 600 years before the time of Jesus when he said, I will put my law within you and I will write it on your heart. Jesus would speak of it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he said, you must be born again. And Paul will describe it in 2 Corinthians when he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What do you boast in? Is that what you boast in? Do people see that on your Instagram page? Do they see this in your text messages? Do they hear this when you're sitting in small group with them? Do they hear it among your coworkers when you drop in during a break at work? You ever asked your family if this is the kind of thing that characterizes who you are, if it truly is the cross of Christ and new creation that dominates your focus and your intention? For the rest of your life. See, out of, out of all the things that he could have chosen, Paul, when it, come to, when it came to what he would boast in, did not choose his oratory, although he was a powerful preacher. His intellect, although he was a PhD in the Hebrew Scriptures. His politics, although at one time he was heavily involved in the upper echelons of religious, of what probably would have been called the religious right. His money though he probably had some of that at one time. His success, though prior to his conversion, he had a lot of what would have seemed to do that. His social status, though he was both a Roman citizen and of the tribe of Benjamin. Out of all those things, Paul chose the most despicable, contemptible thing to boast in, an instrument of execution. The Judaizers, by contrast, are not actively and openly denying the cross, they just chose to de-emphasize it. That might be worse. It might be worse. I, can I explain? I would rather be in a theologically progressive church where they just strip crosses off of everything than I would in a church where they claim to follow it, but their lives dictate something else. Because at least in that first scenario, you know what you got. Nothing. But you know what you got in the second scenario? Nothing. The cross is not merely a symbol, a hood ornament. It is a way of life, and it is an empowering way of life because it reminds us, I can't measure up, and I never will measure up, but because of that death for my sin, there is a new creation available to me that allows me to live in absolute victory. God can make you new through the work of Jesus on the cross. You need to center your life on that today. Resist those distracting motivations and center your life on the cross of Christ. And you do that by turning to the power of grace. Read these closing verses with me. Beginning with verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. God offers new creation. Jesus paid for new creation. The Holy Spirit applies new creation. And our response is we embody that new creation. We walk by his rule. We live in that standard and we are empowered to do so. And the result is threefold. Number one, you and I become the Israel of God. Remember his earlier argument? You go all the way back to earlier places in Galatians. It's not ethnicity that makes a difference here. It's the spiritual sons of Abraham. You don't have to be genetically tied to a particular race. That's good news for much like your pastor. I got Cherokee Indian and Scottish and British and who knows what else running in my veins right now. I am so thankful to God that there's not some kind of pure race that God favors over somebody else. You must have, however, the faith of Abraham. If you have the faith of Abraham, you will inherit the promise of Abraham in the person and work of Jesus. The word Israel sometimes means a nation state with borders and a body of law. Sometimes it refers ethnically to a group of people whom we call Hebrews or Jewish people. But the etymology simply means prince of God. It was first used of Jacob when he wrestled with the Lord and he walked away with a broken hip, but a new name and a new identity. Your name, he says, is no longer Jacob, but Israel. Your name is no longer huckster, trickster, scoundrel. Your name is prince. Prince. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you truly believe, if you embrace the cross, you are a prince of God. Secondly, you have peace and mercy. Now, mercy is it's an interesting word. It's the corollary to grace, actually. Grace, simply put, is when God grants us something that we don't deserve. A new heart, a nature that loves him, power to live in victory over our sin, a home in heaven when what we really deserve is the other place. Mercy, by contrast, is when God withholds from us what we do deserve, wrath, judgment, separation. And because of that mercy, the result is peace. Peace. So it's not just that I have my sins forgiven. It's not just that I'm able to walk in empowerment. I can do so, even in the middle of a pandemic, at perfect peace. Now, I'll admit to you, not even this preacher has lived that out as perfectly as he should have the last eight weeks. I've gone to bed or gotten up with a rock in my stomach. I've been woken up at 1, 2 a.m. in the morning and wondered why I couldn't get back to sleep. My normal has been interrupted just like the rest of you. I, I have failed the Lord multiple occasions here. But Paul tells me this is available to me and to you. Peace. But it's only found at the foot of the cross. And it's only found when we allow that cross to mark us. Paul goes on and he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The Greek term for mark there is the word stigmata. You may recognize that, particularly if you're from a Catholic background, or uh, if you're not from a Catholic background, but you've watched some weird movies about demon possession, or about some kind of miraculous showing where someone bears, you know, nail prints through their wrists or their feet. You say, well, pastor, what do you think about that? I, honestly, I don't know what to think about all that, but I do know what Paul's getting at here. He's talking about suffering. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I said, right when this pandemic started, 
And one of the one of the reasons that churches, some churches have been caught flat-footed in the middle of this is because they had a woefully underdeveloped theology of suffering. It's because so much prosperity nonsense has led us to believe that the Christian life and the American dream are essentially the same thing. And we've been caught flat-footed by that. I've, I've told pastors that. Hey, if up until this point, if you have not taught your people that God is sovereign and in control and to be feared and that this virus is his virus and that we can't even fathom some of the more trite things that we might try to mouth off to say what he's doing to us or for us or what it is that he's trying to teach us and that the ultimate thing that we need to do at this point is fall on our faces and fear the Lord our God because he is not our girlfriend. If, if, but if you've spent the last several years as a pastor talking to your people about God as if he is no more than just your business partner, you're too late. You're too late. Your church isn't going to make it through this. You have to present God as he is. And I'm going to tell you, there are things in this book that make me highly uncomfortable. Nevertheless, this is how God reveals himself. And he called us to be his messengers, not his editors. This is who God is. I bear the marks of Jesus. God calls us to suffer. There's suffering going on right now among our congregation. There is suffering from unemployment. There is suffering from this disease. There is suffering from other diseases. There is suffering going on that Amy and I have spent our time on our knees praying for individuals, part of this church family, who have to get rushed to the hospital for some other kind of thing that's not COVID-related, but because of COVID, their loved one can't go in there with them. There's all this anxiety and other kind of things that's, that's playing its role. There's some bona fide suffering. So forgive me, this is going to be one of those moments, okay, just buckle up. Forgive me if I have no sympathy for people who claim to be suffering, but they're not. One very well-known radio commentator, some of you probably listen to and you shouldn't, put up just two days ago that he walked into a department store and they asked him to put on a mask. Now, the reason you put on a mask is not to protect yourself, but in the event that you are asymptomatic and infected, which even for a guy my age with my level of health, that's not out of the question that when I'm in close proximity to other people, you put that on because you don't want to take a chance of giving it to someone else. And this isn't like a seatbelt law. This thing's going to go away. A year from now, it'll be in the rearview mirror. This is temporary. This guy walked out of that store and literally said, my country is destroyed. Do you act that way? In the middle of the sickness and death that's going on, the unemployment that's going on, the incredibly complex issues that we're having to work on right now, are you acting a fool over something? I don't know if you are or not. I hope you're not. But I got to tell you, I looked at that guy's Twitter feed and I thought, son, you wouldn't have lasted 45 seconds at Omaha Beach. Your butt would have been curled up in the fetal position. You don't know what suffering is. And the reason I can tell is because you think this is suffering. Quit whining, people. 
Our nation, our world over the last 2,000 years has been worse. We've been through far worse than this, and we will get through this if we grow up. The marks of Jesus. The, the wider reference of that word marks actually referred to slaves. How's that for freedom? Slaves. This is who I belong to. This is, the, this is whose property I am. Really, even today, marks are points of reference, aren't they? I have a birthmark right here on my wrist. It, it would be an ID point. If somebody says, we're looking for this guy or, you know, something, God forbid, were to happen to me, that might be one of the identifying. He had a birthmark on his, on his right wrist. It's an identification characteristic. There are watermarks on legal and other documents to just testify to their legitimacy. You give a cashier these days any bill, denomination higher than a 50, you know what they're going to do? They're going to hold it up to a light. You know what they're looking for? A mark that signals you haven't brought them a counterfeit. Marks prove authenticity. And at least part of what Mark Paul was suffering. Suffering. And he is not the only one. 20 centuries later, in his attempts to face off the evil, not only of the Nazi regime, but of the Lutheran established state church in Germany that was enabling and therefore complicit in six million murders. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the following. He, and by the way, this is from the book, The Cost of Discipleship. We've got it out here. We're going through the Beatitudes in the fall. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the, the peacemakers, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're going to take weeks and just move through those. Bonhoeffer's cost of discipleship is based on that section of the Sermon on the Mount. And some of our men are going to, and the ladies would be welcome as well, to move through that book together. This is what Bonhoeffer said. He who becomes Christ's own possession must submit to his cross and suffer and die with him. It is a death full of grace. The cross to which we are called is a daily dying in the power of the death which Christ died once and for all. What's that look like in your life? See, most of us are not going to suffer the way Paul did in the first century, and we're not going to suffer the way Bonhoeffer did in the 20th. Most of us are not going to experience the anguish of poverty that our brothers and sisters in the developing world would do. Most of us are not going to have to hide from the government because of what we believe. But where are your stigmata? Where are the things in your life that actually mark you as belonging to Jesus and you stayed with him through all of that? Because if you're living the grace-driven life we've all been learning about here, you have them. You have them. Would we see them if we looked at your banking app? What about your calendar? How about your relationships? How about your actions and your, your priorities? What marks your life for Jesus? Because what Bonhoeffer taught us 100 years ago and what Paul taught us in this Holy Spirit-inspired text 2,000 years ago is that the power of grace doesn't come cheap. But here's the good news. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Grace, it's the word charis. Uh, one of the folks that gets this PowerPoint asked me, he said, is that your wrist? No, it's not, because I don't like needles. But that's the word. 
as it occurs in the Greek text. Paul has taken six, you want to know how deep that word is? Paul's taken six entire chapters to unpack it for us. What is it? What are the distractions from it? What are the things that frees us from? What are its fake manifestations? How does it really present? What role does the Holy Spirit play in all of that? And he has given the Galatian church and you and me all of this description, not just so we could know more and fill our minds, but so we could come to this conclusion. May that grace, may all of what I have described, every ounce of it, may it be with your spirit. May it characterize your life. May it empower you for victory. So be it, Lord Jesus. Amen. That's the message of Galatians. You can have a genuine, transforming, life-changing relationship with God. You don't deserve that kind of life. That's why it's called grace. You don't deserve it, and neither do I, but God is gracious and his grace doesn't just forgive us for our sins. It empowers us to live like we should, to live as we were created to live from the very beginning. And with that empowered life, you can live in a way that not only connects you with God in ways you've never thought were possible, but that spills over into your relationship with others. Some of you may have a marriage or a relationship with a child or a coworker or even a fellow church member and no lubrication. You know what you need? You need grace. This pastor's prayer from the time we started this book in January until this moment, has been simple, and it will continue to be so for the people who are part of this church that I love with all of my heart. May that grace be with your spirit until Jesus comes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this powerful letter that challenges us, that wakes us up, that kicks us in the seat of the pants out of love and a desire for our eternal good, Lord Jesus, would you come and be present? Not only where I am and where these musicians are and where the few people are that are gathered in front of me right now, but where thousands of people are watching me right now on the other side of this camera. Father, may you convict the world of sin, Holy Spirit. May you present truth. May you glorify Jesus. May you guide us. But first, may you transform us. May the truth of those words, born again, characterize every part of our lives. Father, forgive us where we have failed. And Lord, may we repent, not by trying harder, but by recognizing we simply don't have it in us. We need something external given to us. And Lord Jesus, I need that grace every bit as much right now as I did the moment I first believed as a young boy. People on the other side of this camera need that grace, and it will transform us, Father. It will keep us unified in the midst of a society for whom even a global pandemic couldn't stop polarization. It will unify your body. It will move us forward in victory and power and might because there is no greater freedom than when we surrender all we are to the sovereign King Jesus. Lord, may your grace give us the ability to do that, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen prayer at covenant-mail.com. If you want to respond to this message in any way, God bless you. Now is your time to respond. We're going to sing for a moment, and then we're going to just take a few moments if you'd like to participate in a corporate offering to do that. And then for those of you who would like, we have a room. You 
click the link that's going to be put in the thread here in just a moment. And uh, you can join Pastor Chris and myself. My wife Amy will be there today as well on Zoom for a few moments just to visit with each other. May God bless you as you respond and are obedient to his word. Heavenly Father, you are faithful. But Lord, your faithfulness wouldn't matter much if you weren't also powerful. So I thank you, Father, for the truth in these words and lyrics that we've just sung. Your grace is sufficient because it is yours. Just like this planet is yours. And Lord, may we rest in that in the weeks and the months to come. And may we be faithful to you. May we not get distracted. May we be so endowed and saturated with the message of your grace that hope is seen and felt and heard and received by untold hundreds of thousands of people in the days to come. Lord, I don't know, wouldn't claim to know all that you're up to in the midst of this. But Lord, I do know this. I know that you are over it all and I know that you're good. So, Lord, in my moments of doubt, fear, anxiety, suspicion, cynicism, may I just rest in those things. Father, may you work powerfully. And, Lord, may a year from now we give you praise because we have responded appropriately to that truth and we have seen you demonstrate your power. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you've been blessed by our time together today. And I want to thank the house full of people, all 10 of them today. 11, I'm sorry, there's 11 of them that uh, are gathered here today. Uh, there are going to be a few more next week as we kind of phase in with the elders and deacons, a few more the week after that. And as I'll be announcing later this week, the full plan. But right now, unless something happens, we're monitoring, we're looking, we have some people here with with healthcare expertise that are guiding us with this. Uh, trust me, you don't want me making those decisions. And so there, there are physicians and nurses and others who are guiding us every step of the way. And the intention at this point is to welcome those of you back who feel comfortable with it on May the 31st. And so I look forward to doing that with you, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. I'll present more of that plan and tell you all of the things that we're doing to get ready uh, to ensure that we're loving each other by keeping other, other, each other safe. But God willing, pray with me uh, that we can gather together. I think this is going to be a great day of celebration. And for those of you who feel like you need to stay home, you will not be left behind. You stay right there on the other side of that camera, and we'll be here every single week, as will Pastor Joe and Miss Lisa and Amy and myself on Wednesday. All of that continues as this church family together moves forward by the very grace of God we've been talking about these few weeks. May God bless you. Take a few moments now as we... Uh, uh, take an offering together. You can go to give2covenant.com. You can text to give, or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 1674, Shepherdstown, West Virginia, 25443. And for those of you who want to join us in the virtual foyer here in just a few minutes, Pastor Chris is there waiting on you, and I'll see you in just a bit. God bless you. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. 
And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already receive from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.